This is the Carmudgeon Show, a part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. My name is Jason Camisa, and this is Derek Tam Hyphen Scott. I thought I was supposed to say Haggerty Pod. Oh, wait, no, that means oh, you that- have to clap. Is this like a? It is hard. <laughs> See, it's not at all. Ready? <laughs> Done. Okay. Anyway. Um, We're doing your own theme song now. It's our theme song. Yes. It's our song. Um, What are we... You came up with this fucking episode. Don't ask me. Oh. Should we change then? I'm not prepared to discuss anything else. (laughs) I'm not prepared to discuss this either. Yes, you are. We don't prepare. That's also true, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people are like, is it a lot of work to do the Cormagent show? And I'm... I tell my boss, yes, huge, huge amount of work. And then really it's just hanging out and talking with you with yes. a little bit of research. We occasionally do. Like occasionally, but not too much. Certainly mm-hmm. not around the topic of whether the XL1 has a turbocharger or not. Shut up. <laughs> you agreed with me slash didn't disagree with me slash had no need to do either of those things. And I got it wrong. Yeah. That 853 CC or whatever. No, the it's part. 800 even. Is it 800 even? I believe so. The internet says 800 cc, but I don't think it's actually 800. Uh, I think it's 800 even. I'm I'm looking this up. It's also turbocharged, apparently. Uh, Uh, 800 even would be a 1200, which I'm trying to think of like what other Volkswagen family that would be taken from. Um, Wikipedia says 800. Yeah. But that's why I said that. Yeah, but why? Is Wikipedia actually a primary source now? Hmm. This, I mean, this is what college is all about, is figuring out what you can... So the key to using Wikipedia in college is to click on the sources that the Wikipedia article uses yeah, and then quote those instead. 800 cc's. Yeah. Fuck. With turbocharger. <laughs> so I got two things, two things wrong. Uh, so topic for today. This is near and dear to me because I'm an old car person at heart. So pursuant to our conversation about the... I saw that. You're an old person at heart. The car is obvious. Um, about the Integra and how you were like, it's very good. And I was like, I don't know. It seems a little bit devoid of character. Fundamentally, I am an old car person. I, my expectations are for a lot of like texture and drama and failure. Did I not create drama in the Acura Integra on the way back from lunch? <laughs> you did, in fact, create drama. Does it not do great burnouts? It does do great burnouts. You just have to use the e-golf technique. I, oh, yeah. I did that in the e-golf. Let's go backwards first. That's the yes. sort of official front-wheel drive burnout thing. Strategy. Yeah, reverse at the rev limiter, and then you go for it. <clears throat> this is for the it's same time. like sign. the Pontiac the, endurance test. Yes. Well, that was a rental car that's different. The funny thing is, so we're coming back from lunch, and I'm, you know, Derek drove to lunch, and then this is after we talked about the Integra. And I'm like, he didn't hit the limiter and hold it there, and it makes a fun sound, so I did that. And then I took a turn really fast and it has wonderful chassis balance not a huge amount of grip thanks to the all seasons but you know lovely little lift off oversteer that's nice and gentle came around and then i did a little burnout and stuff like that and i was behaving badly admittedly and derek's like i thought you say you never uh, you never abuse test cars and i don't and without reason without reason and I don't. And then you continued on. You're like, you're driving this exactly how other people are going to drive it. I'm like, you just answered your question slash contradicted your statement slash something. I drive these cars in the manner which the 17-year-olds whose daddies buy them are, hold on, the 17-year-olds whose dads have bought one for them will drive them. They're going to be abused. And uh, what I have found is that in the 2023 Acura Integra does epic, beautiful burnouts with no axle hop. Something your GTI is not capable of doing. Well, mine is, but when it was stock, it wasn't. These are important things to know. Undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. So you can go back to being your old car, old man self. And I'm going to continue doing burnouts in press cars. Mm -hmm. But only the press cars in which real world customers will do that. No, No more burnouts, Jason, in hybrid Lexuses or something. Is that true? No. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, back to you being in the uh, What is the biggest sleeper um, in terms of doing burnouts that you would not expect to be good at burnouts? Like, uh, what is the least likely to be utilized but best performing burnout vehicle? Oh, anything V6, like 
V6 or V6 front wheel drive stuff like Camry V6, amazing burnout machine. But Hmm. a lot of them, uh, like a lot of them have a non-defeatable traction control. I'm trying to think of like what recently I've done terrible shit in. That's not like an old car. Um, I'll get back to you on that. Pretty much anything. (laughs) The VW stuff always has axle hop and that's just terrible. Why is that? It's just soft engine mounts and a resonance in the front suspension. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, no, like f- front wheel drive powerful, like automatics, because you can just e-brake it and just <laughs> hold the car static and just... Even with an electronic e-brake? Often, yes. <laughs> Depends on the car. Because most of those electronic e-brakes, so that you don't have to try this at home. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, when you pull it while you're moving it's an emergency brake so it usually goes anywhere between 0.5 g and 1 g of braking using the abs pump once you come to a stop it then puts on the electronic parking brake which is an actual parking brake on the rear wheels so if you activate it while it stops it usually just holds the parking brake on allowing the, the front rear end yeah, yeah. uh-huh that's my job i test cars mm-hmm. to the limit <clears throat> and beyond and beyond i don't brake press cars Often. I'm trying to think if I've No, you only have two incidents. I mean, I've damaged, I've, you know, damaged a couple of bumpers and scratched a lot of wheels. And some side skirts and... That that was the G-Wagon. Yeah. Yeah, G-Wagon got beat up. But that was off-road and that kind of off-road stuff, I just don't... But I don't think I've had a mechanical from abuse, put it that way, ever. No bent clutch for uh, uh, shifter Mm -hmm. forks and... No, I don't. Luckily, this is, I don't, what do you think this is? Car and driver? No, that's Motor Trend. That did. Motor there, Trend? Was, there was a guy in testing at Motor Trend that was, he could, I think I've mentioned him in the past, so I can probably say his name. Can I? Scott. And Scott was like twin clutch Scott, basically. He would shift so fast that you'd hear, hear him testing. You're like, is that an automatic? Because you hear, you know, you're like, what? And then he would occasionally break a transmission, but he always got the best zero to 60s because that one two shift was. Like you couldn't even perceive it from outside. Mm. It was just a drop in revs, you know, where other people would shift, you know, ah, wah, no, not him. Well, it's the kind of thing that when you think about it in an old car, you just like, oh. I did that in my old car. You do? Without the clutch? No, you, no, he does, he did use the clutch. Mm. Just kicked it as fast as he could. Just, I mean, just a horrible abusive thing. Ugh. It's for that. science. I mean, it is. And it is as much as I would probably chastise him <coughs> for for damaging cars. At the end of the day, it's a better time. The manufacturer probably appreciates it. Like, oh, we got to put a transmit tranny in it. But it beat our competition to 60. Not if you do exactly the same thing with the competition. Right? If you just treated them all equally. Look at the weather. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shit. Okay. Yeah, good point. Um, what was the actual topic? Well, they could compare like a really good motor trend number versus, you know, like a not great run track number, for example. Our car beat a 911-60 when we dropped it out of a plane. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. anyway, you want to talk about old cars. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this was of, of, I think, interest to you because I owned the car that you now own, a car that you now own, and after you after you bought it, you learned a bunch of stuff about its history that I didn't know, didn't give a shit, didn't bother to check. And <laughs> one of the cameras just switched off. So we beat up Paolo. He's giving me a thumbs up, which I think means like we got to start the whole episode over. Sorry, everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's okay. What are those flames coming out? <laughs> Why is everything on fire? Um, <coughs> I think that a lot of the your chair is locked. Oh, you can't. Does this have yeah, this one rocks back? You're gonna go ass over tea kettle again. Yeah, mm. won't be the first time of the day. Um, automotive automotive archaeology is the the phrase that I use to do this, which is if you buy an old car and you don't have sort of a clear picture of its past and you start to investigate what its story is, I think you can oftentimes discover neat things, such as you did with uh, the 308 GT4. Uh, and I think that you have a, another story on this topic, I believe. Yeah. I mean, sorry, just threw a bottle for, for those listening on podcast um, things. Um, yeah. So the 
the Ferrari 308 GT4 that we have both owned, um, the pre- one of the previous owners was Denny Carmassi, who is the jump drummer for Heart, um, which is kind of fun. Um, good friends with Sammy Hagar, who's local here in, in the Bay Area. And, and a car enthusiast. And a major car enthusiast, uh, despite the fact that he can't drive 55. That was a song he did, you see. Um, anyway, I did get that one. Um, and I would love to meet Denny at one point and just kind of talk to him. But in celebration of the fact that this car was purchased in, let me get this math right, 1986, I think he bought it. Um, so the car was already 11 years old. But um, I bought the cassette tape that had come out six months before uh, you bought the, before, the album that paid for the car. I'm thinking, right? And then I bought the album that they were in the middle of, that Hart was in the middle of recording when he got it. Mm. And those two cassettes live in the car. And at some point, I would like to meet him and have him sign those cassettes. And I think they should live in the car as part of that car's permanent sort of record. Mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with permanent records as I was equally as badly behaved when I was in school. <laughs> Things went on. Don't you remember that? This is going to go on your permanent record. Well, where is it now, motherfucker? I don't know, but that's never stopped you from getting a job, to your knowledge. That's true. The principal's dead. <laughs> I mean, he was like ancient anyway. And all the teachers I killed. I think the original owner of my alpha has to be dead. He would be 700 years old. Yeah. And a 1950-something car? 1961, yeah. 61. So, yeah. do you know when he was born? Have you archaeologically, automotively, auto, whatever, dug this up? Uh, I have not. Uh the car didn't, it kind of made it so I didn't have to do any of it because it has records back to new. That's right. And that's always the thing with cars that have records back to new is that you don't have to do any digging. I did, uh, what I, one of my favorite things that I, I did do with this car is that it has the export documents when it left Europe and I found the name of the boat that it came over and then I Googled, image searched a picture of the boat, um, which was built in 1929. Uh, and so... Now I have that <laughs> as okay. part of the car's permanent record. Uh, I think the best is when you sort of find stuff out. So, uh, wait, didn't you have a Mercedes story? I have a couple of stories, archaeologically digging stories. Yeah, so the, the, the Alfa Romeo was purchased by a doctor who was, perm- who was stationed, stationed is not the right word, he was living temporarily in France and he bought the car in Rome and he has train tickets from when he went to Rome to pick up the car and all the service records. Turns out he crashed it a lot. Um, he single-handedly kept, let's see, Beaverton Automotive Rebuilders, I think was the name of the body shop, in business for over a decade. Every <laughs> single invoice is like straighten rear fender, replace bumper, and like turn signal lens, and like rear lamp cluster. So were there a lot paint. of alcohol receipts <laughs> under the seat too? <laughs> also part of the car's provenance. Yeah, he drove into a lot of shit. Huh. Um, so that's a fun part of the car's history, but... Uh, Did you buy this car thinking it was all original paint? No, 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 no. The previous owner was very upfront about the fact that he had driven into... The car was... What did he say? It was progressively repainted over a course (laughs) of several years as he crashed each corner in turn (laughs) at various times. Uh, So that's part of that car's history. Uh, But the thing is so kind of like shitty now cosmetically. Like it's just the paint. I mean, I think that he he sort of stopped crashing it in the 70s or he stopped keeping the receipts. I don't know. Um, So all of the paint has now got a nice uniform patina because it's all between, you know, 50 and 60 years old. So it's all looks kind of universally elderly, which is fine. It is a number of different shades of red really selling this thing. Yeah. But uh I mean, that's the nice thing about it. We, we talked about this in the episode about what is luxury, right? It's a car that you can drive everywhere and don't care. I mean, I park their car anywhere and I don't lock it and I leave the roof down and then gr- get grill marks on my legs because the upholstery is black. So that's a minus. But yeah, I mean, I just generally don't care about that car. Nothing that is going to happen that I'm going to do to the car is going to meaningfully devalue it any more than it already (laughs) has been by its illustrious history of visiting objects that were moving at different speeds and directions (laughs) in the portland area in the 60s and 70s Uh, and the car has a certificate of origin which is unusual so i I always have enjoyed digging through cars because in the you know vast quantity of cars that you interact with the number of them that have stuff like that is Less than 10%, I would say. Stuff like what? All original records? documentation that tells you something about the car's history. Like we sold a Gullwing once and they had done a tour across Europe in it and had a hotel receipt from Rome from the 50s and 
there was a hang tag from the door. They brought it over on an ocean liner, the USS the SS Constitution, uh, which I discovered was the same boat that Grace Kelly took to her wedding in Monaco. Uh, and there was a hang tag from the stateroom that said, your car will be ready to pick up in New York at 3.30 p.m. the That's day so we cool. arrive. Stuff like that. That's so neat. And um, one of my friends only buys cars that is like this, that are like this, that are just really thoroughly documented. And he bought a car. He was the second owner of the car. It has California black plates, of course. And his neighbors, when he was a kid, owned it. And then when they died, they left it to him, or he bought it from their estate, rather. And it had unknown history prior to 1968, and the car was a 62, so missing a great deal of information about the car's history. Uh, and he never knew what its story was, but he knew that he was the third owner of it and that they'd owned it from 68 until whenever they died. Maybe that was 2010 or something like that. And um, I, you, so Porsche has this thing called a, it's a birth certificate. It's not even a birth certificate. It's a card that has the car's options and engine number and all the specifics for the car on it. And they're all in a warehouse or a filing cabinet somewhere in Stuttgart or something. Sufenhausen, I guess. And they won't give you this information now if you ask for it. You can pay them $200 and they can tell you something oh, about the well. car. You, so they used to, if you gave them 100 or whatever, $120, they would send you a certificate of authenticity that had the engine number on it so that when you were restamping the engine during the restoration, you could make <laughs> it matching numbers again, which a lot of unsavory people did. So Porsche wised up to this. And now you have to send them the number of the engine in the car and they will tell you whether yes it's or no. matching. Yes. Wow. So that is, I guess, mm. progress because there's. Speaking of automotive archaeology, a lot of times you come across a car and uh, you're like, mm, this, "The font on the three is wrong. <laughs> like it should have a, a horizontal line on the top of the three, and it's got a curved one." You know, like so somebody, you know, did something mm. sketchy with this car. And then you feel around the area where the VIN is stamped. You're like, oh, why are there welds around the entire perimeter of the area oh, where the VIN is stamped? <laughs> so, good. you know, stuff has been cut out. Or, you know, they will do this for a car that technically needed smog, and they will backdate the mm. car's age by putting in a new VIN plate for a car that is pre-smog. VIN swaps are very illegal. Thoroughly very. illegal, yeah. yeah. So that's also an option. Um so anyway, to get back to the Cardex, which is what this document that Porsche has is called, if you know someone at Porsche, you can get a copy of the Cardex. Mm -hmm. And knowing what an enthusiast he was about this type of information, I contacted someone at Porsche and I said, can I have this information? I guess I shouldn't share his name. Uh, and in exchange for some currency, was able to get a copy of the car's Cardex. And mm -hmm. it listed the original owner's name, and he found someone by the same name but Junior and mailed him a letter mm -hmm. with a photo of the car as it sits today. And the guy wrote back, or emailed, I guess, and said, here is a photo of me as a teenager with the car in Pennsylvania. And here's a picture of my parents picking it up new at the Porsche factory. Oh it's one God. of five Porsches that my parents picked up in the 50s and 60s wow. at the Porsche factory. Here's photos of all five of them. <laughs> Here they are in the Alps in the blue one. This one was the gray one. Uh, and so he went from having only history back to 1968 <laughs> to now having full service or full history on the car uh, because of the name is recorded, the first of the first owner is recorded on the Cardex. That's so cool. And that's the kind of stuff that like I love about old cars. And, you know, you can't always you can't contact these people always because they're often not around but every so often you hit the jock, jackpot and yeah. uh get to learn a great deal about the car's history i uh, it, it's i go back and forth so the mercedes i bought from the, this is my 190 2.316 ah uh, yes i bought this from a tech the car has legally only ever been registered in, in its original owner's name and then in mine so i'm the second owner of the car however there was a broker who took possession of it in the meantime. So I bought it technically through him, but it was still titled to the original owner. So I, when I went to go first look at the car, I called her and had a great, great phone call with her um, that I'll never forget, but unfortunately I didn't record. And so afterwards I then sent her a letter, having found her address, sent her a letter and you know 
hey, thank you for the for the contact, whatever, blah, 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 and asked her a bunch of questions, no response. And then on the cars, how old is that thing? I think it was on the car's 30th birthday or whatever it was, I sent her a picture of the car at the Golden Gate Bridge and, you know, asked yes, her. Yes, because it was a German car. So yeah, that's a very... like, hey, this is crazy. Look at your cars on, under the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, no response at all. And so I don't, I don't know if she's still around or not, but I, I should have, while I had the chance, gone, taken that car to her and had a picture, you know, with her. It should be car, part of the car's permanent record. Yeah. Um, I do have a photo of, his name is Dr. Labby, my Alpha's first owner, the one who drove into many things. <laughs> I do have a photo of him in an advanced age, probably before, right before he sold the car. 1998 was when he sold the car. That's so cool. I can't do that. The Scirocco's original owner has passed away two years ago, I just found out. Mm. Um, so his mom, who's the one that I tormented, if, if anyone remembers the story, uh, I tortured this poor woman. I called her almost every day for two months to convince her to buy me, uh, to sell me this car. Um, and it was her son's car and he had left it with her and he went off to New York, uh, to go to college. He passed away at 52 years old. Um, so I mean, in the car's permanent record, I have now the obituary from the New York times. <laughs> Um, together with his dad's. I mean, this is the crazy thing. His, I remember when I called her to ask her about, you know, selling me the car. She'd said, there's no way he's going to sell the car. His father passed away when he was young and then our house burnt to the ground and this is the only part of his childhood that remains. And so after she, he then agreed to sell it to me, I then, a year or two later, sent him a picture of it after it was after it won first place at a car show. And I sent him a picture of the car with the trophy. And I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know your Scirocco's in great hands, you know, whatever. And I think he responded with like, yeah, whatever. I don't give a fuck. Like he just wasn't, didn't, didn't, didn't seem to be all that touched by it, which uh -huh. made me feel a little bit better because there was that time where I'm like, I kind of stole this guy's car, right? I mean, you know, it's his baby and the story about his dad. Um, and now he's gone. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to reach out. You're next. No. <laughs> well, no, if the duration of your life with the car is proportional to the number of years owned, that you've owned it much longer. And it's yeah, the, the, the amount of time after you sold the car. If you never right. sell it, then. Yeah, so the, his dad died at 49 years old, I think it was, in a boating accident. Uh, and he just passed away at 52, uh, undisclosed why. Um, who knows what happened. But both very young. But his dad, to, to your calculus, his dad died before the car was born, so he's safe. And this owner had it for two years while he was in college and left it with his mom for eight. So if he had it for two years and passed early, his mom is still alive. She's got to be in her eight, late 80s at this point. I've had the car 25 years, so maybe even 90s. Um, and she's okay. And she had it for eight years. I've had it for 25. Shit, I'm going to live yeah, forever. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Uh, but... There have been others. I mean, the I, my Mercedes C43 AMG was a fun one. So this is a W202 C43 AMG. Saw a picture of it on Craigslist, and it's blue. My car was not available in blue. Car was available in silver, black, white, or red. Imperial red. Imperial, yeah. No, is it imperial? Okay. Was, the C36 was imperial red. C36 was imperial. C43 was Almadine, whatever that's called. No. Yes. Almadine? I mean, what what's the American version of Almondine? Garnet. Called? Garnet. For was, the for what? I thought it was the the metallic-y... No, no. The no? cover the mag, the road and track test car was like a non-metallic like bright red. red. Okay. Well, so you know better than I do. Anyway, it wasn't available in blue. That I know. So I went to go look at this car thinking some schmuck, you know, Mako body color uh, color change day C43 AMG only to find out no. It had the Sticker up front said 189 is 189. It, you don't know this? 199, DB19. What's the color That's of your new car? That's Blauschwarz. Blauschwarz. So 189 is black opal, which is this, which is a blue, bluish car. That yeah, it was color. a standard catalog color at the time. Exactly. Not for that car. Not on the 202. And so uh, in the car, I also saw the window sticker that had that color black opal listed, but no upcharge for a special, special order. order. So I bought the car. Um, and uh, called Mercedes, a contact that I have at Mercedes North America, and her immediate reaction was, sorry, the car wasn't available in that color. It was a special order. And I'm like, yeah, but it is, and it's not. And she was like, yeah, it was. Uh, trust me, it was a special order. It's a gray market car. I'm like, I have the VIN, run it. She runs the car. She, had, she and I had previously had an argument about my 300 SL manual. She was like, that car was never sold here with the manual. It's a gray market car. I'm like, you did sell it. I have the window sticker. Anyway, uh, she came back to me the next day in her defense. She was like, wow, so we made... 14 of these cars. Uh, the first week of production for the 98 car, 1998 model year. First year. There were 13 
of them made. Mm-hmm. And then 99, there was a special order, one. Mm-hmm. So it's one of 14, probably a production mistake. At the beginning of production, they were just banging cars out and somebody forgot to tell the factory, by the way, this color's not available in the US. And they produced 13 of them before they... You know, I saw one once that wasn't your car. Street parked. I've seen a couple of them. It's very, For, I think of the 1,425 C43 AMGs, 10,000 of them wound up in San Francisco. They're everywhere. I love those cars. Uh, me too. I know of a great one for sale. Do you need another? It's silver. No. I don't, uh, yeah, maybe. I, lo- I really did love that car. But the I interesting did, really like thing too. was while I was doing the archaeological dig on this car, right? So I found out what the deal with the color, but it had an ABS problem. Have I talked about this on this on the show? Where I hit, hit the brakes and it locked up a front oh, wheel. Oh, that sounds familiar. Right. And it wound up being that the brake lines for the front left and rear right wheel were reversed. I never talked about that. I don't I thought we talked about this. It took me fucking forever to figure out what was going on. And it wasn't until because with the ABS on, no no light on, the light had been disconnected before I bought the car. Mm-hmm. So this was like this, somebody else fixed it for somebody you. else fixed it. And then what they did was jump a wire on the back of the instrument cluster from the airbag light to the ABS light. So when you turn the key, both of them would go on and both would go off. And that was my so First things first, I'm in traffic, I hit the brakes, lock them up. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? This car's supposed to have ABS. That's really weird. Plug in, I look, the light's off, I'm so confused. Friend of mine's got a computer, plug it in. It says ABS light status on, and there was a brake light failure. uh, I'm sorry, brake switch failure, which caused it to throw itself in no ABS mode. So I throw another switch in it. It says ABS light is off, but it still does the same self-check. So I pull out the cluster and there I see it. Somebody put a little jumper wire from from one to the other. Should have been my first clue because ABS lights don't go out until they do a self-check, which they can't do until the engine's running. Mm -hmm. So you start a car, ABS light will stay on, and then as soon as it gets 13.8 volts, it'll turn off. This one would go off if you turn the key but didn't start the car. So I should have known that was bad archaeological evidence from me. Whereas, an, excuse me, an ABS forensic. light, forensic, ABS light will go on, uh, airbag light will, will turn itself off after the self-check before the car starts. So I tried to figure out why is this thing, this is so weird. Why would somebody jump at the ABS thing? Well, ABS worked fine until it didn't. Another time I go for, go for the brakes, locks up one of the wheels and dragged it and wouldn't let it go until I fully got off the, off the pedal. Scared the shit out of me and took me forever to figure it out until I started to do a burnout in, I ruined a whole bunch of tires, by the way. I kept flat spotting tires trying to figure this out. Um, because I, well, I'm not gonna drive this car around when something's r- really wrong. And it would sometimes do weird stuff with stability control, come into a corner and grab, grab some wheels and slow you down even though you weren't near the limit. So finally, I was pissed off because I flat spotted a brand new tire again. Um, and what I, because what I found was on low grip sur- um, surfaces, it would lock the front left or something and high grip it was the right rear it was bizarre couldn't figure it out until i went to go do a burnout to, to flip the car around like to do a quick u-turn and it grabbed the front wheel stopped it from rotating and the right the, the rear tire just incinerated i'm like wait a second i don't have traction control all of a sudden why the fuck did it grab the front wheel huh mm. so then i got hooked up a computer looked at wheel speed sensors i'm like the wires aren't reversed they can't there's no way and i'm like there's no way you could possibly ever reverse brake lines so i put a new brake abs unit in it did the same thing that was like 500 junkyard part i was pissed off about that and then finally when i was pulling that second one out to go return it to the ebay seller because clearly i didn't need it i noticed that underneath the abs pump is a tray and if you pull the tray out there are two brake lines in it that were reversed mm. put it all back together car was perfect so i'm like okay so i finally find this problem which i was really proud of myself and then i start going back through the records and i see the car was involved in a crash in when it was new i think it was a couple months old and the customer brain blamed brake failure Oh, so you think this was um, from the factory? Yep. No. This is the, the coolest forensic archaeological dig I've ever done. Yeah, I think from the factory, the, the brake lines were re- reversed. The guy hit they the brakes. They also painted the ran- wrong damn color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> was yours a 98 or 99? 98. First year. Mm, very first, early one production. One of 13. They were, you know, immensely or something. Oh, evil. yes. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. But now I was able to see, okay, well, so whoever said something happened to the brake system and blamed the brakes for the crash, then the, I, 
my guess is that Mercedes bought the car back. I can't imagine because after that he sold it right away and it went straight, if I remember correctly, to a Mercedes dealer. So they probably bought it back, like just shut up, well, lemon law it, you know, without lemon lawing it, buy it back, and then wound up in the hands of someone who could never get the ABS light to turn off. So they just jumped right Or it. the dealer did that. God forbid. Can you imagine? <laughs> Whoopsies. But, but, you know, by discovering the stuff, you can start to put pieces together of what the hell happened to these cars 25 years earlier. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Fun stuff. What other cars have good stories associated with them? It's no fun if you know the car's history from new. I mean, that's that's different fun. I mean, it's, well, you were saying it was fun to have your Alpha's history from new, but... No, 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 but if you have known the car, if it's one owner car, yeah. there's no, like, digging to do, but... There's still people, like, I bought... The 300SL that I bought was from the effectively the original. He says he was the original owner, and it counts because he was present at delivery. Oh, and this would, is the color change this thing. Is the color change, right. So his best friend bought it and said, look, I'll make you a deal. If you drive me to the dealership to pick the car up, when I'm done with it, you can have it. So have? I think it buy. was have it. I think it was have it. So the guy gave it to him when the car was 10 years old or whatever it was. Um, and then he was the second owner until I bought it. And, but it was black, black, and the lower body cladding on, on that car should have been gray. Atlas gray. You learn something every day. So it should have been Atlas gray. Um, and when I, said, when I was looking at the car, I said to him, so when did you paint it? And he was like, I didn't. And I'm like, well, sorry, the whole car's been painted. And he was like, no, it hasn't. I'm like, well, first of all, I can see the drips and the sanding marks and all the rest of the crap. But also, this is supposed to be gray. And he's like, I didn't paint the car. And then after I bought it, not caring all that much about it, he called me and he said, son of a bitch, you know, I forgot about this, but like 15 years ago, I got, I, I scraped the car against the side of the garage door and it was a couple thousand bucks to paint it. And it was not that much more to repaint the whole car in all black. So I did it. Uh-huh. I think I might have told the story that my dad did this, right? Or came across one of these where he was looking at an SC, a 911 SC. And he's like, this door has been painted. The guy's like, no, no, I bought this car new. The door has never been painted. I've definitely told the story. Um, Tell me again. I don't remember it. And... My dad's like, yeah, okay, whatever, fine. He didn't buy the car. And the guy called him back the next day, and he's like, talk to my wife. I was on a business mm-hmm. trip, and she damaged it and had it repaired before I got back. And <laughs> I just learned this because I asked story. her about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so even with original owner cars, yeah. sometimes you can unearth some closet, yeah. closet skeletons mm-hmm. uh, that exist. It's like with your 190, you were like, did, was it parked in this one particular way or something like that? Yeah. It has the, the rear subframe has surface corrosion on it where nothing else does in the right rear corner. And uh, I asked, no, left rear, left, one of the, one of the, in the back of the car, one of the sides. And I asked her when I was asking about it, did you park it in a garage up against, in a corner up against a wall? And she said, how did you know? Because <laughs> it must have been moist in that corner. And that's the only part of the car that has any corrosion on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can sort of. You can look, my favorite thing to do is look for witness marks. And, you know, you look at a front fender and you look at all the bolts lining the inside of the fender and you can see if a wrench has been on them or if the fender's in a different place than it used to be. And there's your forensics. Speaking of which, we'll get back to my Honda Beat that you declared was a total loss. I did not declare such things. Yes, you did not. Um, however, <laughs> however, the uh, apparently on that report that said R on it that says my car has been rebuilt. That's basically any car that has had a body panel replaced, and it does show that it was the hood replaced on it, which I had already found because it was the wrong color. It's the wrong color underneath in a couple little spots if you look really closely. Um, but also, I could see the damage around the headlight ring, which I swear I could do that damage with my finger. Mm-hmm. It's amazing yes. how chintzy is the wrong word. Cheap as shit that uh, those cars no, are uh, delicately uh, light-weighted yeah. mm-hmm. light-weighted mm-hmm. i think is the, the term we're looking for yeah. here this uh, all reminds me i should probably so the last time i checked the uh, the man who ordered and took delivery of my e30 wagon was still alive did you buy it from that person i am owner five okay so no no definitely not definitely and not. he had it from 90 through you were owner five and also five owner seven which means I'm five or six, which means I could also be owner eight. Six, six, and, or eight. six and eight or yeah, five I did or sell seven. it to a friend for a short period of time. Um, but uh, yeah, if anyone in Munich listening to us knows a man named Adalbert Kilbasa, let me know. You're joking. No. Wow. Yeah, Kilbasa. But like with two S's, K-I-E-L-B-A-S-S-A, I believe. Okay. And last I looked him up, he ran like a corner store or something like a, oh, a, a, a stationary store. Huh. 
Let's go Cute. figure. I should look him up and call him and be like, hey, you're my hero for having ordered a car with every performance enhancing option and nothing else. He would be probably delighted to hear that. The, um, Of course, when I was looking at the history of my first 500E, I was Googling the names of the original owners. And of course, one of them, they're all like executives and stuff like that at an engineering company that was, it was a company was called Bach Work Holding. And they make things that hold things in place when you're like working on them. And I was like, okay, sure. That's the kind of person who buys a Merce- an $80,000 Mercedes new in 1992. And someone who has an appreciation for technical stuff. For holding like, things in place. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, for oppression. Oops. Oops. Uh, Too soon. There was some other something that I had archaeologically. Uh, I've forgotten what I mean, it is. I sort of hate like my bitch basket. It has 94,000 miles on it when we found it. And it was, you know, at a, at a car dealer ship is one owner i have the owner's name she's local i should just go yeah. i mean not like there's a single mechanical part on that car that hasn't been modified does like does it is it even worth it here's the deal with that car every body panel is original no hmm. paint except for the bumpers and side skirts which i fucked up wrapping it for a road and track story and wrapping your car so when i pulled the wrap off it pulled the clear coat off of just the plastic bits but like is there a story it was a ninety-four thousand mile cabriolet the seats were were original. I fucked that up. The engine, everything was original and unfucked. Like I just, there's no story to tell. Mm. Clearly, she didn't hit anything. Yeah, but you'd be interested to know, like, whether that is significant. Like, we were over the weekend pulling this E-Type out of a garage in which it's spent almost all of its life from the original owner, and the original owner died recently, and so we pulled the E-Type out for it to go to its now second owner. And as it was getting loaded on the truck, some old guy comes by and he's like, no, I knew the original owner of the car. I used to drive around in it very occasionally and it was his pride and joy and it was always thoroughly waxed and blah, blah, blah. And like he was just like corroborating everything that we already knew about the car, which was that, and it was sold, you know, six miles away, new and always lived, Mm. I guess, two garages. It, It spent its entire life living in two different garages. And so it's like very, very undisturbed car with, which is such a small percentage of cars because invariably they do that thing that we talk about that happens with 7 Series, or any in car, really. I mean, it happens with GTIs, it happens with 7 Series, mm-hmm. where each progressive owner is less um, interested, less equipped, investment. yes, less invested in the car's continued well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is why people always fetishize low-owner count cars, because, well, it depends on what the country It's funny, also, when I was car shopping in Europe, people were like, never buy a car in Spain or France. They just bounce off of everything and don't give a shit. Even if they've spent 100,000 euros new on a car, they don't care. Of this France thing. especially. I mean, you've parked in Paris, right? Yeah. Hilarious. Uh, yeah. But that's not the whole country, but that's like the the reputation. And so, you know, the, and the Germans are like, never buy anything from Italy. And the Italians are like, never buy anything from Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and the Swiss are like, never buy anything from anybody. Anyone but <laughs> Except us. for Swiss. But this yeah. is typical of the sort of xenophobic mentality that characterizes Switzerland generally. Uh, but, you know, Swiss cars tend to be quite nice, and German cars also. Uh, and I guess we have the same mentality here, where you're like, oh, you have to buy a car from X place or X other place. For- I mean, but but part of it is also, in the U.S., we have different, vastly different climates, but also different rules on inspection and whatnot. So, I mean, the reason why German cars are typically well-maintained is because they have to be. They wouldn't pass TÜV. They wouldn't pass inspection. Yeah, they just don't have any compression. Because they've been they've run been out at the red, used, red yeah. line the entirety of their lives. Yeah. So they're in excellent shape with no compression. Or but then you get Japan, which has incredible inspection laws, right? And the cars are outrageously expensive to continue to keep on the road once they're... Yes, so they are all tend to be pretty well looked after. Especially if it's like a specialty car that someone had to go out of their way to get. Yeah. And then pay thousands a year or whatever it is. Millions. Billions a year to keep it registered. Yeah. Yeah. You'd keep it in good shape or trash it. Or Whereas here it. it's like, yeah, just put it on your lawn, it's fine. Yeah, totally fine. I have three on my lawn right now. Mm. That's a joke. I don't have a lawn. <laughs> Get off my lawn. I need that for parking. Right. <laughs> That'll be you. That's in my parking spot. Oh, I don't have a lawn. I actually don't have a lawn. Hmm. Um there I love the of the explanation part of the archaeolo- automotive archaeological dig. So my Isuzu pup, for example, needed rod bearings. And I was like, I wonder if this, I think it had 60,000 miles on it or even less. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Why would this motor need rod bearings? You know, Because somebody drove it a mile and never warmed it up. She put the choke on fully every time she started it. So it's, it's a, 
gas pessy uh, gas gas pedal pressy joke and the first time i went to go when i went to go look at it to well i'd already agreed to buy it without seeing it she floored it and it just went from like cranking speed to red line it had an attack but to some outrageous amount of rpm immediately and then she would click it down and click it off and that startup is ultimately what killed the bearings Mm. so i had an explanation for why it needed bearings even though it only has so few so miles yeah so it can help to do stuff i need to look up all the previous 800 owners of our ferrari yeah i think the original owner was a physician in maryland, maryland. that uh mm-hmm. yeah and then it went to that uh porsche dealer in atlanta that faf mm, faf is a ferrari dealer oh okay i'm sorry not porsche dealer, ferrari dealer. Yeah. yeah but they're gone now right the remains could have ended up as part of a Ferrari of place type of thing. Everything is now Ferrari of place. It's oh, not, yeah. you know, proper names. But no, I mean, the Scirocco was 10 years old when I bought it. And I, I have in the owner's manual, I have the business card for the selling, the guy who sold the car. Um, and I called them and asked them for, for um, records. They had nothing. Mm. I did the same for the C43 AMG. The guy who sold that car knew, did not realize when I, when I talked to him, he said he hadn't realized when it, he sold it, knew that it was a special color and didn't realize that something had Yeah, happened. they didn't. Yeah, so he remembered having sold the car, but nothing else, and no other information. And I reached out to all of those owners. No one responded. So when I, um, when I bought my GT3, I tried to order it from the same salesman who sold my parents' 911s in 1990. That's um, cool. I found him at a, a different dealer. He didn't remember my parents, which was kind of surprising because my parents were not habitually buyers of new cars mm. but for some reason in 1990 i think they were trying to outdo each other honestly <laughs> um they bought three 911s from the same salesman on the same day this was after they got divorced and so i think that this was probably a reflection of <laughs> I was, say, was this emerged. leading up to the divorce or this because was, this was after the divorce ah. so i think they were trying to outdo each other uh anyway i would have expected that um he would have remembered selling three 911s to a mixed race couple in on 1990 the same, on the same day how but the fuck do they buy three cars in one day um, how are you not insane i, Why mean, are you I all am oh. <laughs> so my mom wanted a four seat convertible uh and so she went and test drove a 911 carrera 2 and on the showroom floor i think i've told this story she on the test drive it was just her and my dad on the test drive post-divorce post-divorce it was complicated, evidently. I don't know. I was a small child. Uh, they went to the Mercedes dealer and test drove a 500 SL, which had just come out, the R129 500 SL, on the test drive. And so they disappeared for like an hour in the Carrera 2 to go to the Mercedes dealer and <laughs> test drive the R129. She didn't like the R129, so she bought the Carrera 2. And then there was a, a speedster on the showroom floor, and she was like, that's the one I really want, but it doesn't have back seats. So she bought both. Oh, my God. And then my dad's like, oh, I want... Uh, a 964 Carrera 4 because that's the poor man's 959. It's got four-wheel drive, which is the way of the future. Mm. <laughs> so now he still has this four-wheel drive 911, which I hate driving at the limit because it just goes into understeer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have the two-wheel drive car. Uh, and then, f- amusingly enough, so I subsequently, for $7,000, bought a R129 500 SL from the son of the original owner, his dad had a sporting goods store called Tri-City Sports or something like that. And a friend of mine who grew up in the San Francisco area in that era was like, I remember their TV ads. They were like these really outrageously bad TV ads. <laughs> and the guy who owned that company, I guess he treated himself to a 500 SL because his sporting goods stores were doing so well. Oh, wow. Uh, and so the ads are on YouTube. We found them. <laughs> so like speaking of automotive archaeology and the car, original owner listed on the car's name was in the business name. It was bought by Tri-City Sports, not by this this guy's name. So now, you know, you have to go and drive the car and then watch the tv ad for tri-city sports you're really which i guess is now going to be an insert right. <laughs> there you go but you're really good about um about putting the car in its in its time like in the ferrari is the cassette tape of did you make this you found it somewhere. Pino Pino not, yeah I, so, I bought it on ebay because i was like this is the music you need to listen to in this car yeah. it could not it's be 70s more italian appropriate. rap uh it's like disco effectively but he raps he makes a frittata. Yeah, that's, that's I, true. I understand almost none of it, but I know he's making an omelet. Yes, that is true. Um, Yo fatto una frittata. Yes, don't correct my Italian. He's, Paolo's laughing. Does he even speak Italian? Mm. Yes. You <laughs> guys spoke. Did. You guys speak Italian similarly. 
Fangul, all right? No, no, you don't speak Italian similarly <laughs> at all. I'm kidding. He speaks Italian, Italian. He speaks Italian. I speak stupid. Um, you speak New York Italian. Stunad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So I'm going to, as homework for this episode, at some point in the next 10 years, I will contact all of the previous owners. Time's ticking. I know. The guy who bought the Ferrari's got to be old. Or dead, which is a form of old, I suppose. <laughs> but maybe he's got a kid who remembers it and he's got pictures. Yeah. But like that story about the, you know, the, the Jaguar was the Porsche that he got the pictures of from the parents who bought it. And that's kind of, I would yeah, love to have that amazing. for some of the cars. I would love to do that for the Mira. My dad has literally no photos of the Mira, which he bought in 1974. Uh, no photos. How do you buy a Mura and not I think take he was roll stoned, after roll after roll? Stoned of out of his mind. I don't he know. would have had to be. He'd be stoned out of his mind to buy a Mura in the first place. Yeah. It's funny thing is around the same time he bought a wristwatch and he has everything for the wristwatch. He has the invoice from when he bought it. He has the little sales brochures and everything. He has the box and all the papers and all that stuff. And like, why did he keep all of that stuff for the wristwatch? And he literally does not even have a single photograph of the Mura. I have, I have a, a theory. Because the fucking wristwatch didn't catch fire constantly and try to incinerate everyone maybe in everything, the three mile. Yeah. Maybe the, the, all the photos were burned in the car <laughs> the, one of the three times that it caught on yeah, fire. Exactly. Or your father got so pissed at the car trying to incinerate him and the house and everything else. That, that he, he said, took everything out back and, and burned it. Burned it <laughs> as a sacrifice. Yep. All right. Okay. Well, that was automotive archaeology. I think that stuff's super interesting. It's, it's for pedestrian cars. It might be potentially very fun. It's always funny when you come across a regular car and then it's been like really well kept for some reason. That's the beauty of a Rapid. regular car for you. Oh, like a Corolla or something like okay. that, right? With really abnormally Just checking that good. it wasn't like, oh, a Lamborghini Urocco because those are for the poor people. <laughs> no, no. I'm never so certain. Yeah, that's fair. But a no, Corolla like, for like perfectly. A, yeah, yeah, with a gas log that has every gas filling. Like, you know, you're like. I would love that. That would be that would be a really special owner who would do that, and that's that's why Radwood's kind of fun. You were talking about me, right? Because I did that in my Corolla. Oh, you did. You oh, you don't know this. Uh, so that doesn't surprise me. I had my '94 Corolla that my I wound up leasing when I was 18 years old. Um, VIN JT two AE 9 B eight R double O six seven two three five. Remembering that, of course, because I had to lemon law the car because this nice <clears throat> reliable car that my parents made me lease with all of my money that i had amassed from babysitting and doing all this stupid shit uh had to be lemon lawed and every time i went to the dealership i had to give them the vin and eventually i remembered it after 49 trips to the dealership is when they eventually crashed the car on the test drive because the was it totaled fell out. or does the car still exist no no it i they i made them fix it because the, the southeast toyota was like we're gonna give you a new one i'm like fuck that it lost 10 horsepower fuck you i want my car fixed so they fixed my car which then i drove to the completion of the lease and I ran a Carfax on it not too, too, probably five years ago and saw that it died in a rollover. Hopefully the people in it didn't die, but I know the car met its end and it's, it's long gone. In a rollover, no less. I mean, it survived it off with a bang. It survived me and the lemon law and everything else. But I did keep a fuel economy log that I kept underneath. This is before the days of smartphones, obviously. It was in 94. And I kept this log underneath the seat and it was like very thick manila paper. And I had a, a string with a Sharpie, like a ultra fine tip Sharpie attached to it. And every time I got gas, I would write it down. And then one day I couldn't find it. And I looked everywhere. And I mean, I literally spent a month looking for this. I was so upset. And years later, my best friend Mike, who's now dead or I might kill him, uh, admitted that he threw it out of the gas station because it was obsessive and compulsive and that was stupid and I shouldn't have fucking done that. Now imagine if the new owners of this beautiful JT2AEO90067, whatever, <laughs> which would they subsequently found, rolled. Right, which they, in the process of rolling it, the paper would have fallen out of the ceiling and they would have found this archaeological report of every single tank of fuel in the car. Would that not have been amazing? Sure. They might have a podcast today, too, talking about <laughs> archaeological digging. For fuck's uh, sake. Mike. Yeah. We still have to have a Mike episode. I should compile all the horrible fucking things he did. In, I in mean, one that's episode. more than one episode, I think. I mean, all I think that our audience has certainly heard about Pontiac Endurance Test. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the 8 Series. The 850. The then, story of... Um, reassembling his collection after his demise unbeknownst to his family is wild i could tell that story Lim- i mean the statute of limitations ran out on some, most of the stuff that i was involved in uh and he's no longer prosecutable yeah may he rest in peace 
Never, okay. ever. You should always have a friend that is, keeps you on the verge of being arrested at all times. <laughs> Uh, and just prepare for the inevitable. <laughs> on that, I'm not sure that I need that. I don't think I need that. No, you stress. don't have any crazy friends. No, I think you're probably my most in- unhinged friend. I just did a reverse burnout in a friggin' press car. Um, that's that's pretty unhinged. But no, I'm a little bit, but not compared. I've to only I- been arrested the once. <laughs> that's another story for another time. I've never been arrested. My archaeological dig will have nothing of consequence. There's nothing on your permanent record, Derek Tamscott. You yeah. had to do something like bad in school. This whole permanent record thing is hilarious because that's obviously needs to be the title of this episode. But like, I forgot about this, but I have a friend who has young twins and they're like 10 years old now. And uh, one of them got in trouble and, you know, the kid was all upset. Mom, it's going to be on my permanent record. And she just burst out laughing. She's <laughs> like, really? Permanent? My ass. It all goes away. And that's the one thing as kids we didn't realize is that our permanent record was anything but. It's part of the litany of untruths that society tells to the com- constituent components of society the citizens yeah. to get them to behave even if you get in actual trouble of- you can have your record expunged ask me how i know this because mike <laughs> he was arrested once not on his record anymore even though you can't run that well you could try and run it but you can't hold it against him right okay okay don't get arrested derek on the way home and uh if anything, you if, you, if there's anything you don't want to end up on your car's permanent record, you got to do a real good job of concealing it. <laughs> pay for that in uh, pay for that uh, crash repair in cash and cover the VIN when you drop it off at the shop. Because now all these shops, the software reports automatically to Carfax and such. Yeah, it's tough to Which hunt. Is a blessing, I guess. I have cars that I know have sustained significant damage that have no dings on Carfax. And what do you do? Like, do you just pretend you didn't know about it? No, I mean... You disclose it. I mean, you, what you do is you if disclose it's, it. If it's properly repaired, it's a non-issue as long as the car's not being presented as an original paint collector-grade car. And I'd rather have a clean Carfax. So, I mean, none of this stuff would matters. You rather, with, would I have a clean Carfax even though you know the car's been damaged? Because what else is missing? That's uh, the, yes, I would. Okay. That's the used car salesman in me. <laughs> but would you disclose it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Damn it, then I'm not going to sell any of my cars through you. <laughs> Fucking truth teller. I know. Gets us in trouble. All right. Okay, bye. Bye. This episode has been brought to you by the Haggerty Podcast Network. You're finally getting it. Oh. (laughs) Can we go back to our normal side? This is weird. This is most disoriented. I'm getting up. Get out of my seat. Keep those cameras rolling. Keep it rolling. Hold on. I'm coming back. Get out. Get beat it. Goodbye. Thank you. Oh, God. He's just... Are you going... (laughs) There we go. You're going home. We can't. Oh, wow. It sounds. It's so much louder. Uh, It's so much louder. Okay. Because our levels are adjusted to the voice, the volumes at which we speak. Great. Spoiler alert. You speak at a louder volume than I do. I am perfectly capable of speaking quietly. That's creepy. Yep. Okay. Stop. Until next week. All right. Bye.